But it is an honor to be here, and I don't just say that because that's what pastors say when they visit other churches. It's an honor to be here because Pastor John, John Ware, I mean, he's a friend. I'm honored to know him. I've known him for years, and uh, you could line up all the pastors in the world. I love and admire and respect him as much or more than any. So if you call this church your home, Man, celebrate Pastor John, support Pastor John and his family, pray for Pastor John and his family, pray for them even now as they're off and they've escaped to enjoy some time together and they're pouring in and strengthening uh, themselves as a family unit. And then if you're here for the first time this week, let me just encourage you, come back next week so you can meet Pastor John, get to know Pastor John and the ministry that's being done here. You guys are doing a phenomenal work here in Newport News at this movie theater. And it's not just an honor to be here, it's kind of surreal to be here. Because uh, I pastor a church in Suffolk called City Life Suffolk. It's been there for t- two years. So we planted two Januaries ago. But we planted from a church called City Life Newport News. And City Life Newport News has been around for 12 years. And uh, when they planted, they planted right here. <laughs> in Theater 10, in Regal Cinemas, 12 years ago. Same setup, right? Same deal. Yeah, you can clap. <laughs> it's so awesome to be here. And... Uh, so much is similar, you know, walking in, using the same, same bathroom. I mean, it's just, it's just weird. But there's a, what does change over 12 years is what I wear coming in. <laughs> 12 years ago, I was a fairly new believer. I had just been following Christ for about a year in 2006 when I started attending here. And uh, I would have been dressed in a fitted cap, a 2XL t-shirt, and boots. I would have looked like I was going to an audition for like a dipset music. That's hip-hop music video. And... Uh, That's just the way I dressed, and I loved it. It's kind of like that atmosphere here. I was given a place to belong as I was coming along in my belief, and I know that's what you guys do here. But uh, underneath all that, as I had this hip-hop exterior, and people were putting me on to worship music, Hillsong, which I called Hillsongs for like six months, and people kept correcting me. But beneath all that was a a dark secret, a deep secret, and that was that I had a a musical man crush on a man named John Mayer. Excuse me. John Mayer. So I had this hard exterior, and you, and you might catch me, you know, pulling up, listening to hip-hop or Hillsong at loud volumes, but somewhere along the way, I probably threw a little John Mayer on. See, I have two sisters. Um, I have an older sister and a younger sister, and when I was a freshman in college, my older sister put me on to this guy named John Mayer. So he took me to one of his concerts after he dropped his first album, and by the time I graduated college and I started attending here, I was convinced, like, he was God's gift to creation, the best singer-songwriter there was, and uh, like Pastor John, he started last week uh, this whole series with who? Ed Sheeran, right? When Ed Sheeran grows up, he wants to be John Mayer, right? The same way when I grow up, I want to be John Ware, right? But, but, <laughs> but in 2006, John Mayer dropped an album called Continuum, right? As I was attending here the first year we were here in this theater, and there's not many Love songs on that album that you would say play at your wedding, right? There's a a melancholy throughout that album. For instance, the first love song on that album is called I Don't Trust Myself With Loving You. And there's a line that says you should be warm before I let you inside. And then further along in the album, there's a great song called Slow Dancing in a Burning Room. We're going down and you can see it too. You know that we're doomed. We're slow dancing in a burning room. Then you get towards the end, and there's Dreaming with a Broken Heart. Again, a song you're probably not going to play at your wedding or put on that mixtape for that girl you you like. But near the end of the album, next to the end of the album, we finally get a song. It's called In Repair. And in those lyrics, it says, So much to do to set my heart right. It's taken so long. I could be wrong. 
I could be ready, but if I take my heart's advice, I should, assume, I should assume it's still unsteady. I'm in repair. I'm in repair. You know, John Mayer once described his lyrics as having a, quote, sad hope. And his music definitely captures this reality that our hearts are broken. You know, our love lives often reflect this, but our brokenness is something bigger than the last failed relationship with the opposite sex. No, it's a broken relationship with God. But lucky for us, God initiates restoration. God initiates reconciliation because God is love. Billy Graham has a great quote where he says, God loves you. And he loves you with a love that you don't know anything about because there is no human love comparable to divine love. So God loves you with a love that we really know nothing about. We might know a little about it, but you think about John Mayer. John Mayer knows nothing about it outside of God. The Ed Sheerans and Rihanna's and that Disney soundtrack that your kids listen to, it's about love, but it's this imitation of love that we can't hold a candle to because God is love. And 1 John 4, 8, maybe you've heard that verse, says God is love. And if God is above our understanding, if his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and God is love, then that will put love on a similar playing field. And maybe that's why we seem to fumble our way through love. We struggle to master love because God is love and God is big. You know, there's a poem that kind of highlights this. It goes like this. It says, love is like an onion. You taste it with delight, but when it's gone, you wonder, whatever made you bite? Love is a funny thing, just like a lizard. It curls up around your heart and then jumps into your gizzard. <laughs> love is swell. It's so enticing. It's orange gel. It's strawberry icing. It's chocolate mousse. It's roasted goose. It's ham on rye. It's banana pie. Love is all good things without question. In other words, it's indigestion. <laughs> love is like an onion. There are layers to love. There's more facets to love than there are facets on the diamond ring you give your spouse. But I love that as, as big as God is and as big as love is, God gives us images throughout Scripture, throughout our Bibles to give us glimpses and understanding of his love, who he is, and his love for us, his love for you, each person here. And we remember images long after words have left us. Scientists have found that 90%, 90% of the images, or excuse me, the information retained in our brains is visual. People think using imagery. People learn better using imagery. The brain processes imagery 60,000 times faster than text. Visual aids help learning by some 400%. Aristotle once says the soul does not think without a picture. So naturally, if we go looking in Scripture, we find images that God places throughout to help us get a better grasp of his love. Like what? The image of the sheep and the shepherd. The shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. The servant and the master. The son and the father, the bride and the groom. But tonight I want to, or excuse me, sorry, we meet Saturday nights. <laughs> Tara knew that was coming. This morning, though, I want to focus on one specifically that maybe we overlook, and we don't think of as a loving relationship, and that's clay and a potter, and how the clay gets formed and conformed into a new image. You know, Job speaks to this reality. It's in Job chapter 10, verses 8 through 12, where he says, you made me like a handcrafted piece of pottery. Don't you remember how beautifully you worked my clay? You gave me life itself and incredible love. 
In Isaiah 64, 8, it echoes this where Isaiah says, we are the clay and you, God, are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. We see it firsthand in the book of Genesis, the beginning of Scripture in Genesis 2, 7. Where before the first love, before Adam and Eve, the first marriage and relationship between Adam and Eve, we see that they were made from the dust of the earth, the clay of the earth, right? We got Virginia clay around here, but from the dirt of the earth. And we see an essential detail in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where it says that God created us, male and female, in his image. The creator God, this Potter and the clay shapes us, works us in his image. And as a former art major, I dig this, right? We're created by a creator God in his image, so we should be creative. The music we make, the, the art we make, the, the paintings, the sculptures, the whatever it is, the, the creative work has a little bit of divinity in it because we're created in God's image. But on the other hand, for all the images and pictures that I would love to make, Scripture says don't make images of God for worship. It's one of the chief ten commandments, and I find that interesting, that we aren't supposed to make images of God because if you go back to Genesis, he made us in his image. Specifically, man and woman in his image, humanity in his image. Again, people learn better through imagery. The soul doesn't think without a picture, so God gives the world a snapshot. Humanity made in his image. We as believers are supposed to show a world in repair the love of God through lives lived in his image. But after the first chapters of Genesis and we get to Genesis 3, we see that God's creation essentially gets vandalized by sin, broken by sin, like shattered pottery. We see songwriters like John Mayer point to it in their melancholy music that we're in repair, more specifically in need of repair. This is the bad news. The bad news is that there is far more mess in you and far deeper than you ever realized. But the good news is mess is God's specialty. <laughs> He's a potter that shapes and reshapes clay, and there's no mess too big for him. His love takes us and transforms us. Specifically, we see in Scripture, it conforms us. Our loving creator conforms us, reforms us, transforms us in his love. But I know in this series you're talking about, uh, we're talking about the culture and its concept of love. And when you look at our culture and its concept of love and love songs, we want somebody who will love us as we are. We want a relationship based on self-fulfillment, not necessarily self-denial. We want, we want something that's comforting, not conforming. The ideal soulmate would be low maintenance, meet my needs. Make few demands on me, not force me to change. They'll love me as I am. No matter how much repair I may need, they'll accept me where I'm at and love me where I'm at. And if you look at the love of God, again, the good part of the love of God is he loves us so much that, yes, he meets us where we're at. But God loves us so much that he doesn't leave us there, right? Our caring creator conforms us. God is love, and his love conforms us. And why do I keep using the word conform? Because if you turn to Romans 8, now if, if, 
If you were to put together a greatest hits like all these artists do of their love songs, Romans 8 would be in Paul's greatest hits. Romans 8 might be in the Bible's greatest hits when you talk about chapters. And it's where we get one of the most quoted verses in Scripture. Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. But the very next verse says in Romans 8, 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. And if you turn just a couple pages further in his letter, we see the other option. The only other option is the world. Romans 12, 2, Paul explicitly tells us, do not conform to the patterns of this world. We're going to drift in one direction. And if you look at the patterns of our world, just in 2016, a couple years ago, the word of the year was post-truth. Post-truth means that uh, facts don't inform our decisions and our reality as much as our feelings. Basically, truth becomes optional. That was the word of the year in 2016, according to the Oxford Dictionary. We live in a culture and a world where tolerance reigns supreme, and the only sin is to judge someone else. So our idea of love, again, is unequivocally, accept me as I am. Again, God's love, it does meet us where we're at. But it doesn't just comfort us where it meets us. It calls us to conform into the image of his son, and he does that through love. And you might say, well, that's a pretty unique tool, love. But you think about love. Think about your human love. Think about your love for your spouse, and and think about your love for God. Love ruins our plans. (laughs) Love disrupts. Love demands. Love stakes claims. Love gets in your face. Love changes our opinions. It moves us toward places we would never choose on our own. Love conforms. Few things shape our lives like loving relationships, especially those that culminate in marriage. You know, so often with marriage and, and relationships, we try to find the quote-unquote the one. Now, you may marry one version of your spouse on your wedding day. But if you're two people joined together, pursuing God in a way where you're going to be transformed and made more to look like Christ daily, you're marrying that one version and about 30 versions that you're going to meet up the road. One morning you go wake up and like, who are you? Because we're changing. We're being formed into the likeness of Christ. And when that's your expectation, it doesn't surprise you. But I once heard somebody say when most people in our culture look for a spouse, they often look for the perfect statue when they should be looking for a good piece of marble. Or in our analogy today, a good piece of clay. Because God will do some shaping and some conforming as you grow together. My wife, Steph, and I, she wasn't able to be here this morning. We got a two-year-old. Uh, You'll see a picture of him later. (laughs) But on our first year of marriage, her father-in-law, God bless him, put together this cruise that we went on. Um, It was Royal Caribbean, and they did a a show one evening called uh, Love and Marriage. Maybe you heard of the old TV show, right? Steph, she's, she's competitive. She wants to be involved. She's like, let's do it, right? I'm like, have you seen the show? You know the questions they're going to ask us. Your, your dad's going to be in the front row, right? This is adult entertainment on a secular cruise ship. You know how awkward that'll be for me? Like, I burned the DVD copy of that thing. <laughs> but you know, we won. <laughs> we won. I might have had to say some embarrassing things in front of my father-in-law, but we won, right? <laughs> According to that game show, we knew each other better than these other couples that one of them had been married for like 50 years, right? But we knew the original version. I knew Steph 1.0 at that point. We've been married for a couple months. She knew Justin 1.0. Because, you know, seasons change us. Diagnoses, health diagnoses, they change us. Tragedies change us. 
Even victories can change us. Man, let me tell you, kids change us. <laughs> Careers, callings that God sends you on can change us, for better or worse. But why I love Romans 8, 28 that we, we quote so often, it tells us that God works all these things for good. And Romans 8, 29 tells us what that good is. He can use all those things to shape us and reform us into his image like we see in Genesis, to conform us into the image of his son like we see in the Gospels. But man, as we talk about relationships, let me just segue. How many of you uh, watch The Bachelor? Speaking of relationships, right here. Anybody else? No judge, no judgment, right? The, the Bachelor and The Bachelorette. One of them's on right now. The Bachelor, thank you. I got, I got all the info I need right here. How many of you guys watch The Biggest Loser? That show's still on, right? I saw a stat, though, uh, from Entertainment Tonight, so you know it's true. <laughs> Said the biggest loser has led to more successful marriages than The Bachelor and The Bachelorette combined. The program with a focus on life transformation has a better track record for creating lasting relationships than the one that's, well, supposed to create lasting relationships. The Bachelor, though, and The Bachelorette, it's all about finding the, the Barbie and Ken equivalent and quickly matching them up with someone who looks good and makes them happy. They're looking for the statue. But you look at The Biggest Loser, it's about improving yourself slowly. It's about setting a goal and transformation. It's about looking for that piece of marble or the piece of clay that's unfinished. Relationships on The Bachelor, they're based more on self-fulfillment, whereas you see relationships sparked on The Biggest Loser, they're about self-transformation. The goal of spiritual friendship, the goal of spiritual relationships, especially the kinds we walk in within something like marriage, is to eagerly help one another to know and resemble Jesus, the image of God, in deeper and deeper ways. You know, God created male and female in his image before they came together in the first marriage in Eden. And today, God uses male and female in marriage to help conform them again into Christ's image. And man, let me tell you, I'm, good thing Steph's not here. I'm, I'm eight years in this year. <laughs> and within this relationship, man, two broken people being slowly restored. You're doing life together. Marriage is like this permanent closeness, this permanent in your face. Conflict happens. It's natural. It's natural. I mean, I think some of us today simply need to stop viewing the fact that maybe you have conflict with your spouse now and again as some kind of disqualifier. I'd argue that's why uh, we see so many marriages in the U.S. fail, because we forget that one thing our pop songs actually get right is, man, love is a battlefield. Man, love is work. Love at first sight, though, in our culture has met breakup at first hardship. Our society skips from the hookup to the breakup so quickly because it's lost the perseverance necessary and the communication necessary to make up repeatedly. Man, the key to resolving conflict in love, relationships, friendship, it's the same throughout. It's communication. Communication. How do you navigate your way out of the misunderstandings, the disagreements, the hurt feelings, Maybe even avoid it on a good day. You do that through communication. Now, there are certainly more keys, but I can tell you without communication, you'll end up slow dancing in a burning room on that dreaming with a broken heart to the in repair vibe on that John Mayer album that you really don't want in your life. But Christ-like communication, truth spoken in love, is the firm tool that God uses to shape us and conform us into the image of his son. 
Proverbs 27, 17 is probably a verse you've heard used in the church hundreds of times from men, men's ministry, where it says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And it's true. And that applies to our spouses, too, almost on another level. You look at Proverbs 2, 17, it uses a unique word for spouse that essentially means best friend, your most effective sharpener. In terms of being transformed and conformed into the image of Christ, your most effective shaper. Marriage conforms us into the image of Christ like few other things can. But what are the tools for this work and this reshaping? The basic answer, again, is Christ-like communication, speaking the truth in love with the power of God's grace. Man, if you want to be formed into the image of Christ, it says in Ephesians 4.15, Paul spells it out for us, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. See, Jesus, who John's gospel introduces as the word, he came in both grace and truth. And our words, communication that helps us conform to his image should come across with the same mix, grace and truth, love and truth. As the author and pastor Tim Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we can't really hear it. So the question I want to look at tonight as we apply all of this is how do we communicate in a way that supports and affirms but doesn't keep us broken? How do we communicate information in such a way that it's heard? How do we speak the truth in love well, growing in every way more more like Christ, in the image of God that we were intended and shaped to carry since Genesis. And I want to give you three T's. One, because every good thing comes in threes and because pastors have an alliteration addiction. Three T's tonight. Keys to communication and, and being shaped more like Christ through our words. Whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a friendship, whether it's in the family of faith, you know, these relationships in life, they won't grow unless you communicate. And the first T that's so key to communication is tone. Yeah, throw that bad boy up there. That's my son, Raj. So, clearly, he don't look like me. Uh, we adopted him from India two years ago uh, on February 28th of this month. February 28th is when we took him out of the orphanage. He became a part of our family, and, and he's two, turned two in October. And what's crazy is he's trilingual. So he knows Marathi, which is the native tongue in India, uh, in his region. Um, he knows English, and he knows sign language. Trilingual, right? Genius. But here's the thing. He knows about two words in each one of those. <laughs> Maybe two or three. We don't do a whole lot of communication. I mean, when, it, when he's slow coming along with communication, I'm like, this kid is trying to remember three different things at one time. But for us, it's all about tone. I love it right now. I hope it's always this way. When I'm talking to Raj and I raise my voice, he doesn't get scared. He realizes 99% of the time when I raise my voice, I'm goofing off. He just starts laughing. I could be yelling any words, and he just starts giggling, right? And I know any time that he uh, wants to hand me something, he'll start using, I don't know why. Sounds like he started sucking on some helium. Like his voice just gets really high, and, and, beep, 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 and he hands me something. Our communication is not based on words as much as it's based on tone, and tone is such a huge part of communication. Tone, by its very definition, can, one, apply to music, two, it can apply to a feeling conveyed when somebody speaks. And three, it can apply to the atmosphere 
in a place. There's a beautiful tone in this place this morning, right? But what's powerful is in soundtracks, a music's tone can set a powerful atmosphere in a movie. Hans Zimmer is a boss in that regard. In a very similar way, though, your voice and its tone can set the atmosphere in your home, can set the atmosphere in a conversation, can set the atmosphere in a relationship. Like, Steph tells me to do something. Okay, honey, I got it. Or, okay, honey, I got it. Or, okay, honey, I got it. Same thing, a little different. It's all in the tone. Tone sets the atmosphere. It says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response. You know, tone communicates one thing, or our tone should communicate one thing. I care. I care. If you don't care, the person you're talking to isn't going to care about what you say. If you don't care, you can't communicate. If you sacrifice tone, you'll sacrifice communication. And communication, again, is this tool that God wants to use to shape us and make us more like Christ. And the, the second T, though, so there's tone. Tone is key. The second is time. There's another uh, love song I love by a band named the Abbott Brothers. It's called You Can't Be In Love Like The Movies. At least I think that's what it is, because the chorus goes, you want to be in love like the movies, but in the movies, they're not in love at all. Appropriate song for this venue. With a twinkle in their eyes, they're just saying their lines, and so we can't be in love like the movies. Now, there's a line in here that says, in the ending, there's always a resolution, but real life is more than just two hours long. All right, movies and Netflix, they're great for dates, they're great for binges, but they're not great for setting realistic expectations. Solutions to problems, they're often found in 30, 60, or maybe 120 minutes. And depending on your definition of a binge, an entire season of trouble can be pushed through in one week, one day, maybe even hours, depending on what kind of life you have. <laughs> but in reality, you can't microwave conversations. You can't microwave relationships. You can't microwave change. Instead of trying to push through and rush through communication, we should be proactive with our communication. Man, if I could just encourage you in your relationships, if it's a, a close relationship, if it's, if it's your spouse, if it's your kid, if it's somebody that you just have a relationship where you hold each other accountable, have proactive communication time. What does that look like? Well, for a married couple, it, it's simply, man, talking before you have disagreements. Agreeing ahead of time so you don't have disagreements in your relationship. Proactively taking time out of your schedule, whether it's an hour a week, a day every month or two where you just sit down, kids making all their noise somewhere else, and you can have a heart-to-heart -heart and talk and share what's on your mind, what's, what's been holding you up, what you've been thinking, what you've been dreaming about, what you've been discouraged about. Proactively making time. Because you'll either be proactive or you can be reactive. And if you aren't proactive, you'll be reacting all year long. Amos 3.3, he asked, can two walk together unless they're agreed? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is, is no. There needs to be agreement. And would you rather have, just ask yourself, would you rather have 30 minutes of sometimes difficult conversation that leads to peace and fruit, or would you rather have 30 weeks of just going over the same issue again and again and again? Let's be proactive in our communication. How do you do this well? 
Man, just one piece of advice. Don't let technology intrude upon what's meant for your spouse in terms of time. Technology, man, it can consume so much of our time. Just eat it like 10 minutes gone like that. But don't let that take the time you would give to your spouse and your communication. And then secondly, just realize, man, if the devil can't stop you, he'll get behind you and push you until you're going too fast. That applies to a lot of areas in life, but certainly, absolutely in relationships and communication. Man, let's slow down. Take time to pause and proactively invest time into our relationships and the communication that's necessary. So there's tone. There's time. The third T is simply trust. If love is a battlefield and pop culture got this right, man, to battle with somebody together, it takes trust. Your spouse should be able to complain and keep their dignity. What do I mean? In marriage counseling, somebody comes and says, just explains the problem. And I I ask, well, have you told your spouse that? And they might reply with, I would never tell my spouse that or I'd pay the price. Right? Controlling spouses, they'll make you pay a price for saying what you feel. I don't want to hear it means fear me. Speak only what I want, when I want, or pay the price. But allowing your spouse to simply communicate, vent, husbands, we communicate and vent in like 30 seconds. My wife does it in like 30 minutes. But allowing her to do that, it builds trust. A loving friend, a loving peer, and a loving spouse will say, I may not understand it, but I'll respect it, and you don't have to pay the price for saying it. You may, you may not even understand it yourself, and I may not understand it, but I'll respect it, and you don't have to pay the price for saying it. You know, keys to trust, keys to having trusting communication and relationship, two quick ones, confidentiality and responsibility. Confidentiality, what, what you share with me, it stays here. And I'll never use it in future conversations. I won't use your warts as weapons or warfare down the road. And responsibility, just take responsibility when you've blown it. If you haven't said I was wrong or I'm sorry in weeks, months, or you can't even remember, you probably aren't communicating enough. Man, I'll tell you, just last night, I told Steph I'm sorry. <laughs> it was from my tone. And that's not because Steph and I have a crumbling marriage or we're in crisis. simply because I want to communicate. I want to communicate, I want to protect the trust we have. I want to build on the trust we have. Man, conflict in your relationships. Just hear this today. It's not a disqualifier. Man, when God puts two people together who are in need of repair, and you're doing life together close, man, iron sharpens iron, but it's not like it's, it's through friction. <laughs> it's the same way in our relationships. If I could just have the, the worship team come up. Again, love, we get all kinds of pictures of it in culture, movies, songs. It's not always a smooth ride. Love sometimes seems all but impossible to master. But again, God is love. That means two good things. One, you're not crazy because you can't master it. Love is, is big. In many ways, it's transcendent. It's hard to grasp. And in the same way, God loves us so much that he gives us his son that he gives us his word, that he gives us all these images to better understand him, better understand his love, his love for us, the way he sees us. That man, when when you stumbled this week and, and you went to him in prayer, I don't know who this is for, but how do you see God's face? 
Is it one of scorn? Is it one where he's frowning upon you? Or is it a smile? When my son, who's two years old, trips, falls, and stumbles, I don't look down on him like, you dummy. <laughs> I smile. I reassure him, and I pick him up. It's just a picture of God's. I don't know who that was for, but that's a picture of God's love this morning. And as we talked about, God in his love shaped male and female in his image to share and display his love into the world. And on this side of the fall, God uses male and female in marriage to help reshape each other into his image, the image of Jesus Christ. Again, our culture so often sees love as this, take me as I am in spite of my brokenness. But God's love doesn't just meet us where we are. He heals us of our brokenness. Our caring creator conforms. He conforms us into the image of Christ. But if I'm 100% transparent, and all of us are 100% transparent this morning, we're all works in progress. We stumble. There are days I want to put my foot in my mouth. There are days I want to put my fist through a wall. But man, God is good. And may we walk with love in one hand and truth in the other. And not just in our communication, but man, again, in our relationship with God, when it's just us and God, may we walk with love in one hand and truth in the other. Because when we lean too heavily on truth and we don't cling to love, man, we can become wrecked by guilt. Because we become so focused on our flaws and our failings that we forget Christ's sacrifice, his love, and his grace. And we'll never be at peace because we can't measure up to God's holiness. I'm in repair and I'm going to be a work in progress till the day I die. But we also, when we lean into love, but we let go of truth, we can get caught in cycles, mountaintops and valleys, peaks and pits. Letting go of your hold on truth means that you never truly address the issue and will never be at peace because we never change. See, if I apply truth at the cost of love, I'll forever feel the shame of not measuring up. But if I apply love at the cost of truth, I'll forever return to shame because I'll never change to fit God's truth. And if I'm honest, in a decade of following Christ, I've been on each side of that. In different seasons, I remember his truth, but I forget his love. Or I remember his love, but I forget to cherish his truth. May we be people that walk with both, his love and his truth. And I like to think that as I'm standing here now, I look a little bit more like Christ than I did 12 years ago. But I'm still a work in progress. And I'll, I'll never arrive this side of the grave. But you know the answer for every one of us? Simply get started. Simply get started. And if you don't have a relationship with a significant other, I know Valentine's already for singles is like, man, why? Why do we even do this? Like, <laughs> what is this commercial holiday, right? I'm not trying to do that to you this morning. If you don't have a relationship with a significant other, man, walk in relationship with the family of faith. So many things in Scripture. Or you can just look at life. Family is like a school of love. It's where we learn to, to take this broken, self-centered view where everything's about me. And in our family, we begin to realize, no, I need to focus on my siblings, my parents. We just, it's a school of love. We're trained in love. And the family of faith, the church of Christ, the body of Christ, it's the same way. It's no different. There's dozens of one another's in the New Testament that are meant to shape us and grow us and make us more like Christ. And you can't do those in a mirror. <laughs> You can't do those on your own. We're meant to do those as a part of a body of Christ and a family of faith. So, man, get rooted here in relationships, in gathering, in life groups, 
and accountability and see the fruit that comes from that. You know, in the words of John Mayer that we opened with, he said, there's so much to do to set my heart right. But you know, our brokenness, again, is something bigger than our last failed relationship with somebody here on earth. It's Our brokenness is because of a broken relationship with God. But lucky for us, again, God loves us so much that he initiates restoration. He initiates reconciliation for us. Again, that quote that we read at the beginning, Billy Graham said, God loves you. He loves you with a love that you don't know anything about because there is no human love comparable to the divine love. But if you could stand here this morning, if we could all stand here in this place, we're going to go back into worship, but I don't want to leave this place without giving an opportunity for every person here to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because maybe you would say, I've never embraced God and this love that you're talking about and his lordship. And you would say, I'm in repair and I haven't been able to to fix it. I've tried this. I've tried that. And man, I haven't found the solution. Let me tell you this morning, the solution is found in Jesus Christ. Twelve years ago when I was attending this church, I had really just come to Christ. And that was my testimony. I was 21. I spent a decade knowing I needed repair, but trying this, trying that, and then finally realizing, man, I need Jesus Christ. And man, let me tell you, the best decision I ever made. And again, I haven't arrived. I'll never arrive. But the same grace that met me over a dozen years ago is the same grace that calls me and challenges me and grows me and covers me. And if that's you tonight, then before we go into worship, I believe God would work on hearts in such a way. You know it's you. If that's you this morning, and you would say, I'm in repair, and I need to give Jesus a shot. Jesus is the answer. He's the solution. If that's you this morning, I simply ask that where you're at, you just raise your hand, and we'll pray this morning. Just raise your hand where you're at. And I ain't gonna lie, I can't see. <laughs> but I want to lead us in prayer. I want to lead us in prayer this morning. If you could just pray with me. Lord God, I thank you for Jesus. Lord God, I thank you that he came in grace. And he came in truth. That grace represents your love. And that truth represents your lordship. And God, I want both for my life. And this morning I confess with my mouth. And believe in my heart. That Jesus Christ is Lord. God, I thank you for your grace that meets me. In the middle of my mess. And I thank you for your grace that calls me. Out of my mess to be like Jesus Christ. Thank you for your hope. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to go into worship. But this morning, if you just prayed that for the first time, I'll be over here. I'd love to pray for you. I know we're going to have opportunities for prayer after this. But man, this morning, I pray that we'd be reminded of God's truth, and we'd be reminded of God's love. 
And that as we continue to be transformed and made more like Jesus Christ, that more and more in our lives we'd be able to communicate in our relationships in the church, in our relationships with friends, and in our relationships with those God has put in our heart with grace and with truth. Be an image bearer of God in the creation he's placed us in. Being uh, people that give him the glory and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. But let's do that even now in worship.